This, this is the second, second Story Podcast. It's the first day of kindergarten, and I am terrified. I hold on to my dad's hand tight. The only place that I had been without my parents so far was the bathroom. Dad walks me over to the bright carpet, where another boy is playing with a big yellow dump truck. Hi, he says. I'm Tim. Want to play dump trucks? And I kneel down tentatively, letting go of my father's hand for just a second as I reach out and I grab the yellow truck. My dad stands back and watches me for a moment. He sneaks off to work, but I don't notice his leaving. Because suddenly, I'm with my new best friend. New experiences can be terrifying. This week on the Second Story Podcast, we encounter a woman entering her own scary new reality. Megan Steelstra is a longtime Second Story company member and serves as the literary director for the company. She was a co-editor on Briefly Knocked Unconscious by a Low-Flying Duck, the Second Story Anthology, and she teaches story and performance at Columbia College, Chicago. A version of the story you are about to hear will be published in the Best American Essays of 2013 Anthology in early October, edited by Cheryl Strade and Robert Atwan. Second Story proudly presents Megan Steelstra. For the first few months after my son was born, I just called him the baby. Or sometimes him with a capital H, these huge proper nouns to illustrate how completely he took over my life. Is he eating? Not eating? Pooping? Not pooping? What color is the poop? How long ago was the poop? Did I mark the poop on a spreadsheet? I had spreadsheets. I had stuff. White noise CDs and magnetic blocks and this super high-tech video monitor with a remote wireless screen and night vision, which made the baby glow electric green in the dark like he was a CIA target. It was a little unnerving, actually. It had two frequencies, an A channel and a B channel, in case you had two kids in separate rooms. And what's interesting about this is that one of my neighbors must have owned this same monitor because on channel A, I saw my baby, and on channel B, I saw somebody else's baby. And if I could see somebody else's baby, then somebody else could see mine. Now, at the time, we lived on a third-floor walk-up in Uptown, surrounded by other third-floor walk-ups. Jumping onto a neighbor's Wi-Fi signal wasn't that much of a stretch, so perhaps the fact that I could toggle between babies shouldn't have been so surprising, but it was. It was huge. I was obsessed. Now, on one hand, it was totally creepy, stalking even. But later, after I got used to the idea, it was kind of magical. Like CB radios when you're a kid, connecting with someone across the void, adding your voice to the collective unconscious, feeling less alone in this crazy world, and and who knows who might be listening Who knows who's in that uptown condo on Channel B? A baby, to be sure, but it wasn't the baby that I was obsessed with. It was the mother. My imagination went wild when I thought of her. Did she sit there watching my kid in the dark? Did she question his bedtime? Did she wonder where I got his pajamas? How might she react if I left a sign in his crib that read... Stop looking at my baby, you fucking voyeur. (laughs) Uh, 
Or what about this one? Yay, new friends! Do you want to meet up at the park? Or this one? I am terrified. I am so terrified that sometimes I can't even breathe. Now, any winter in Chicago is a force to be reckoned with. But 2008, if you recall, was kind of like the ice planet of Hoth. Remember Hoth from The Empire Strikes Back? Luke almost freezes to death, and then Han Solo shoves him into a dead tauntaun for body warmth? That Hoth? And the baby was born right in the middle of it. My husband, Christopher, had to dig out our buried car, shovel the alley, and navigate Lakeshore Drive through a whiteout blizzard. And that relentless, pounding snow stayed through January, February, March, and into April. Now, I'm a part-time college teacher, which means no paid maternity leave. And since I'd taken the winter off to be with the baby, Christopher, a web designer, picked up extra projects to cover the difference. He worked all day, came home, and went back to work, sleeping three, four hours a night, all the while carrying the mortgage, the bills, the deadlines, the baby, and me. Christopher, I would whisper, night after night, every night, the baby's not breathing. We would be in bed, Christopher lit from the blue glow of his laptop, building some website, me staring at my electric green swaddled up pretzel of a baby. Ever since we'd moved him from our room to his own, that five-by-five-inch screen was the center of my universe. Was the baby sleeping? Was he moving? Was he breathing? He's not breathing! Honey, Christopher would say, he was trying so hard to be patient. The baby is fine. The baby is not fine. He is. He can't breathe! Megan, you need to sleep. Which was true. But... Have any of you read the internet lately? (laughs) Do you know what can happen to an infant if its mother turns her head for even a fraction of a second? Somebody is always getting crushed under a bumpo or a bitbap. And don't even get me started on abduction. Thank you very much, every episode ever of Law & Order SVU. And do you people know that some kid in the UK just got dragged off by a jackal? I joke about this now, but the truth is, I was scared to sleep. The baby might suffocate, and I was scared to go outside. The baby might freeze, and I was scared that he wasn't eating, wasn't latching, wasn't gaining, wasn't doing what the book said he would do, and and after a particularly awful bout of screaming, him, and crying, both of us, I looked in the mirror and wondered who the girl was looking back at me. I was unbrushed, unwashed, wearing the same Empire waist shirt and yoga pants day after day. Now, we all have things about ourselves that we know to be true. And in that moment, I I couldn't remember any of them about myself. I I couldn't write. I couldn't laugh. I couldn't connect with my friends. I, I couldn't see myself. Now, at the time... My understanding of postpartum depression was primarily shaped by Brooke Shields' memoir, right? Down came the rain about crippling depression and suicidal thoughts. And, And since what I was experiencing, while heavy, wasn't that heavy. Dark, but not that dark. And, and scary, but not, you know, like, like that. It didn't occur to me to ask for help. I mean, I wasn't gonna hurt my kid. I wasn't going to hurt myself, right? 
Now, four years later, I know that the symptoms of postpartum depression are as varied as the flowers in the greenhouse, and I wish I told someone. I didn't need to feel that alone, just me, in the frozen Chicago winter with my tiny, fragile baby. And Channel B. Whenever the baby would fall asleep, I would stare at his day-glow body on the monitor, making sure he wasn't suffocating or levitating or jackals or whatever crazy thing I was imagining. And then, once assured of his safety, I would flip the channel to see how that other mother was doing. Maybe her kid was eating. Maybe she changed clothes occasionally. Maybe for her, snow wasn't a terrifying apocalypse, but rather a Hallmark-like sprinkling of picturesque flakes, walking in a winter wonderland, if you will. And yes, I know, it was completely intrusive and unethical and, and above all else, ridiculous. Why was I comparing myself to this woman? I, I never even saw her. Mostly, there was just an empty crib. Sometimes there was a baby wiggling and doing baby things. But the mother was a total non-entity. Until one night, I flipped over to Channel B and heard crying. Not from the baby. He was fast asleep, an angel. But somewhere in his room, a woman was crying, these heavy, gaspy, gulpy sobs. They went on. They went on and on, and I shouldn't have listened. But it was the first time since my son was born that I didn't feel alone. So what finally changed things was spring. Birds, green things, grilling on the porch, frozen blender drinks, short skirts, outdoor seating, lemonade, which you can get any time of year, but it always tastes better in the sunshine. Sunshine, my God, I needed it. And I know that most of us in Chicago feel this way in May, but for me, May of 2008 was a godsend, like this giant hand reaching down out of the clouds and pulling me to my feet. In May, the baby became Caleb, smiling, responding, learning about the world outside of my lap. I would strap him in a backpack and we would walk around Uptown, Broadway to Argyle, down to the beach and back up Montrose, and we would find magic in everyday things. Plastic grocery bags? Amazing! <laughs> Tapping a glass with a spoon? Kick ass? A plastic garbage bag wiggling? The best thing you've ever seen in your life! And and one morning, he reached for a yellow street cleaning sign stapled to a tree, and suddenly, I saw yellow as if I had been blind to it for years. Brake lights, parking lights, yellow flowers in a yard, lady in a yellow shirt pushing a stroller. And I stopped. She was 30s, early 30s maybe, and pretty, and she was wearing yoga pants, and uh, the yellow shirt had an empire waist. She looked tired, but also interesting. Like there were all these things about her that were set on pause for the time being. And I realized that she looked like how I saw myself. We nodded at each other in solidarity. This, I had recently learned, is what new moms do, acknowledging the fact that even though you don't know each other, you're still a part of this great cosmic team. Her baby was grabbing his toes in the stroller. So sweet, so adorable, so familiar. I looked closer. Yeah, 
I knew this kid. And suddenly I saw him not face-to-face on Lawrence Avenue, but electric green on a tiny handheld screen. I looked back at the mother. You know, I started. And then stopped, because really, (laughs) what would I have said? Stop looking at my baby? You want to meet up at the park? What about the truth? You helped save me. Your baby is beautiful, she said. So is yours, I said. We stood there. We stood there way past what was appropriate for strangers. I I like to think it's because she was thinking the same thing I was, that maybe she too had flipped channels in the middle of the night, trying to connect with someone across the void or feel less alone in this crazy world. Maybe she'd overheard me crying in Caleb's bedroom months ago when everything still seemed so cold. How are you? I asked her. And I wasn't just saying it. I really, really wanted to know. She smiled. I'm getting better. Me too, I said. I'm getting better. And it was something about myself that I knew was true. That was Megan Steelstra. This story was curated by Amanda Delheimer Diamond with performance direction from Lee Stark. The live music was performed by the Harold Washington Trio with engineering by Nick Kawahara. Second Story is more than just a podcast. It's a live story power experience. Join us in Chicago for our next performance at Webster's Wine Bar on October 13th and 14th. The theme of the evening is Cut and Run, Stories of Escape. Tickets available at secondstory.com. That's 2ndstory.com. Second Story podcasts are brought to you in part by the City Arts Program, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, the Chicago Community Foundation, part of the Chicago Community Trust, and the Arts Work Fund. I'm Ozzie Totten, and this is Second Story. Second Story.